Let's pray, shall we? Gracious God, we know that uh, you are the one who indeed searches our hearts. As we sit here this morning, ready to hear from your word, Lord, our hearts may be in lots of different places right now and in lots of different conditions. We pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, though, that you might come and speak clearly. Lord, that you might open up our eyes and our hearts to see the wonder that it is to be a child of God and to be part of your kingdom. As we focus in on these kingdom parables in Matthew 13, Teach us this morning what it is to be a child of God, living in your kingdom, and how your kingdom is at work in our world today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin this morning just by reading to you a little bit of an extract from a uh, a wonderful book. The book is entitled The Pursuing God by Joshua Ryan Butler. And uh, I certainly um, say that that is a, it's an excellent read if, if you are looking to, uh, to find a very good book to read at the moment about the Christian faith. Um, my apologies to those who were at the last members meeting because I'm actually going to be uh, reading from a story that I actually shared a little bit of at our last members meeting. So if you're here, this might be a little bit familiar to you. He writes this. Speaking of a little Vietnamese lady, he says, Bien is one of my heroes. She oversees HIV support groups for about 1,500 women in Vietnam. I shouldn't be here, she told me when we first met. I should be dead. Bien first learned she was HIV positive about 10 years ago when she saw her husband wither away before her eyes and realised that he had AIDS. She was six months pregnant at the time. Her husband had gone to Hanoi regularly as a migrant worker. And like many men in the village, uh, he, uh, he travelled down there on this, uh, on this regular basis. While he was a worker in the worker camps, prostitution and drug abuse were rampant. He contracted HIV there and without realising it, passed it on to his wife, Bien, when he returned. A week before their child was born, he died. This was devastating in multiple ways. On a personal level, Bien was heartbroken. She grieved the loss of her husband and she realised that she was now facing the same fate. She was angry. He'd obviously gotten AIDS through either drugs or prostitution and the sense of betrayal for her was huge. She was scared. What would happen to her children when she was gone? On a community level, BM was isolated. No one would come near her anymore. People were afraid of catching the mysterious disease. I mean, if she breathes on me, will I get it? Family and friends stopped visiting her home. What is more, Bien had no income. She had become the sole breadwinner for her children, but no one would buy her vegetables in the market anymore or even hire her for work. She was heartbroken, isolated and desperate. Fortunately, Bien attended a HIV class to a church in Hanoi, 
and she learned more about the disease she had, including how to fight it with antiretroviral medications, well, that's a mouthful, to stay alive, and also discovered that she was not alone. Other women from her village were also there, suffering and surviving in the shadows. Bien said, hey, let's band together and rally them into a support network. They cared for one another. When one of the women got sick, the others would come to help cook and clean and care for the children. They educated the neighbourhood. It had been easy to ignore just Bien, but suddenly 25 women in the village were visible and people wanted to learn what they were dealing with. As the local understanding changed, they began getting hired for work again. They were able to provide for their children and participate fully in the life of the community. And then something else happened that would revolutionise the group. Bien met Jesus. The seed of the gospel took root in her life. And she became the first follower of Jesus in her village. And she began to share God's love with her group. And many said, we want to follow him too. Neighbours saw the transformation and said, we want Jesus in our lives. And pretty soon, Bien was leading a church of 40 people in her home. Quickly, however, trouble came. Some saw Christianity as a threat, so local officials went house to house, went house, to house and warned, unless you renounce Jesus and shut this thing down, we're going to shut off your HIV medication. Many bailed out at that point, saying, this is not what we signed up for. But Bien and many others stayed. The choice was clear. Give up Jesus and save your life or remain with Jesus and die. The rocks and thorns of persecution could not choke out her seed in the soil. Slowly things got better. Friends from Hanoi snuck HIV medication from the city and the church's reputation improved. God calls us to love and serve our neighbours, Bien said. So they started small businesses for vulnerable families, a support centre for prostitutes, and a drug rehabilitation program for addicts in the region. Neighbouring villages wanted HIV support groups too, so Bien helped launch more than 40 groups for 1,500-plus women in the surrounding province. And within a few years, Bien was lifted up by the government to oversee HIV work in the entire province. And Bien can't help but talk about Jesus. She's seen many come to follow him and new churches spring up all over the area. Bien not only withstood rocky resistance and thorny circumstances, but she allowed the seed of God's kingdom to take root deep down in her life, bringing loads of life-giving fruit bursting forth from the surface. And he finishes by saying, here's the thing that's crazy to me. If you would have gone back to Bien's village 10 years ago, checklist in hand, looking for a change maker, then she's probably not the one you'd choose. Vocation, farmer. Income, poor. Education, weak. Influence, none. Health, sick. According to our usual standards and metrics, she would have been the last kid picked. But here's the thing. God loves taking the last kids picked and making them the centre of his story. God often uses 
that which appears insignificant and small and sometimes weak in order to achieve great things for his kingdom. I mean, that's the whole point of these two parables we have here for us in Matthew 13 this morning, verses 31 to 33. The parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven. I want you to think for a minute. Think about what Jesus has just been telling his small band of followers. In the parable of the sower, we've seen that only one out of four soils will actually produce a harvest. In the parable of the weeds from last week, we saw that God's kingdom and his children are going to experience much persecution and much opposition and much hardship in this world as they live out their faith for Christ. Not exactly inspirational stuff, is it? I mean, Jesus expected, Jesus' disciples, they expected the kingdom to arrive in this incredible blaze of glory. In fact, many of them are actually sort of starting to make plans about, you know, what kind of positions of prominence they might have in God's kingdom when it arrives. Remember the, the discussion that James and John had had with Jesus? You know, Jesus, when your kingdom comes, you know, can I sit on your right and can I sit on your left? I mean, things had started off so well. People had been flocking to Jesus. His popularity had, had been unprecedented, you know, at that particular point in time. People began to, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, the crowds just, they just needed to be near Jesus and there was thousands upon thousands of people coming to hear him teach out there in the, in the fields and the, and the, uh, you know, the highways and byways of, 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 of rural Israel. But after a while, the crowd started to dwindle and people began to reject him and his teaching. In fact, in John 6, chapter 6, John chapter 6 verse 66, we see that uh, after Jesus had, had spoken about uh, himself being the bread of life, it says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Opposition became greater. In fact, some started to call for Jesus' blood. They wanted him dead. They wanted him out of the picture completely. And I expect that, you know, Jesus sort of, you know, saw this and he, and he, and he saw what kind of impact that was actually going to have in his disciples' lives. Those, those small band of followers at that particular point in time. What's going through their hearts and minds? Are they starting to doubt? Perhaps they need a, a measure of encouragement that, you know, to, uh, to, for them to be able to see that, you know, look, you know, things may not, you know, may, may seem really bad on the surface, but let me, let me let you into, let you in on a, on a kingdom secret, if you like, Jesus says. And this is why I think he, why he, he, uh, he preaches these, or gives these next two parables to encourage the hearts of his followers and to help them see when it, when it comes to about the kingdom of God, when it comes to God's kingdom, things aren't often as, as they appear or as they seem on the surface. So the first thing that Jesus wants his followers to understand from these parables is this is that great things can result from the most insignificant of beginnings. Take the mustard seed, for instance. Here in verse 30, uh, 31, he says, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. 
It is the smallest of seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. The mustard seed. The mustard seed in Jesus' day was often used as a a proverbial way of, of speaking of something incredibly small or insignificant. Jesus actually used the, the, uh, the mustard seed analogy in Matthew chapter 17 and verse 20 when he speaks of a, of a person's faith. He says, if a person has faith as small as a grain of a mustard seed, he can say to this mountain, move, and it'll move. It's a bit like us saying, you know, as, as, as tiny as a grain of sand. It was a proverbial way of speaking of something incredibly small and insignificant. And from outward appearance, the mustard seed itself offered very little when it came to potential. You wouldn't think that much could come from such a a small seed, particularly a large garden shrub that would grow to probably 12 to 15 feet in height. Yet Jesus says that from this small seed, this this large tree, this large shrub would grow the largest of all garden plants or all garden herbs, big enough and strong enough for birds to come and nest in. Now in the Old Testament, we often find that kingdoms are represented or depicted as trees in which birds come and find their rest and their shelter in. We see it in Ezekiel chapter 31 verses 3 to 7 where God speaks of the Assyrian Empire in that particular day. We see it also in Daniel chapter 4 and verses 10 to 12 where it speaks about Babylon being this, uh, this kingdom and where uh, you know, the birds would come and find their rest and their shelter in the trees of these kingdoms. So with Jesus here speaking about the kingdom of God, he's saying that although it will have small and humble beginnings, eventually it's going to grow and, and become so uh, such a large kingdom that, that, that many people from all nations around the world will come and find blessing within it. I mean, think about the beginnings of the kingdom. Jesus came into the world as a baby. As a vulnerable, as a vulnerable baby boy. He was born into humble surroundings, laid in a manger, born to a carpenter and his teenage bride, raised in the back blocks of, of northern Israel. He became an itinerant preacher. He had no place to call his own, the Bible tells us. And ultimately he was killed on a cross which was seen in that day as a sign of God's curse upon that person. He was laid in a borrowed tomb. Yet today his followers number millions upon millions. He's had the greatest impact in human history than any other figure. Small and humble beginnings. If you look back over the past 2,000 years, you see how influential the kingdom of God has been in our world. Because of the influence of Christianity, we've seen the introduction of our Western judicial system. We've seen the building of hospitals to treat the sick, the building of schools and universities to provide education, especially to the poor. We've seen the setting up of all kinds of welfare groups and aid agencies. 
We've seen the abolition of slavery, the advancement of women, and these are just to name a few. Our society over the centuries has benefited greatly through God's kingdom lived out in the hearts and lives of his followers here on this planet. And God has used some incredibly, well, who would appear insignificant people, the least likely of people to accomplish some of these incredible things for the kingdom of God. Where hearts and lives of people have, have, have been, have come under the preaching of God's word, have heard the gospel, have responded to it, have re, and responded in repentance and faith, and have then been used by God themselves to become these agents of change for the kingdom in our world. Much of it going on behind the scenes. I mean, think of that lady BM. We just, you know, we just heard a bit of her life from that, from that book this morning. You know, think about Di and, and Julie with the, with the stance, but, but think about, you know, others, you know, in, I'm sure that many of us have got people even going through our own minds right now of people working behind the scenes quietly, just going about their business who God is using to have an incredible impact for Him in our world today. God has used some of the most unlikely of people to bring about great things in this world. Perhaps you feel like one of those most unlikely people today. Do you feel like you're the mustard seed? Do you often feel like you might be the mustard seed in our world today? Fairly small and insignificant Seeming that, you know, your life, you don't even, you don't see the potential that is there in your life right now that, that God sees. Do you often feel that the level of influence that you might have is pretty small? Do you often doubt that you could contribute anything of importance or value for God in the church or in your neighborhood or, or in the places that God takes you week after week? Well, Jesus has got great news for you today. Because in his hands, even that which appears tiny and inconsequential can have the most amazing impact. Look around the room for a moment. You can turn around. Look around at the faces sitting in these seats right now. Go on, turn around, have a look. Look at the faces of these people. Your brothers and sisters in Christ. And yeah, we see faces and we see some people, you know, perhaps some of those faces you think, yeah, you know, yep, I'm not surprised that God can do some pretty amazing things through those, through those people. But I've got no, I, I don't have any gifts like that person. I don't have the abilities of that person. I don't have the physical stamina of, of younger people anymore. I don't have the charisma and those sorts of things of, of others. Me, I look at me and I think, boy, I'm just a nobody. But God loves to use nobodies. 
God loves to use nobodies. His first disciples were fishermen, remember, and tax collectors. In fact, the religious leaders of the day commented on their lack of education. You can read that in Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. These men, they're uneducated. How can they be doing this? Then they remembered, ah, but they've been with Jesus. If we're prepared to be available for God to use, and if we are prepared to stick at it, if we're prepared to persevere and endure, and if we're prepared to trust God, then I guarantee you that God can do some pretty spectacular and amazing things both in your life and through your life. Because God didn't just call you in order to save you from your sins so that you could just feel better about yourself week after week. When God called you into his kingdom... God called you in order that you might be used by him for his purposes. And when I talk about you, I'm talking about all of us, me included. God did not call you just so you could sit in a chair on a Sunday, hear a message, sing some songs and then walk out that door and feel good about yourself for the rest of the week until you come back next week. God called you to be an agent of change for his kingdom in this world today. We just have to be willing to be the seed. Now one thing we need to remember in all of this is that we've got to be very, very careful in how we measure value or substance. Don't be tempted to look at a person or ministry, for example, and thinks and think in your own mind that because that they might look unimpressive, that God cannot use them. Or that they, you know, their contribution is going to be a lot, um, a lot less than yours or other people's. Don't be tempted to look around and see, you know, people or ministries and think because they look unimpressive that they're not going to be particularly effective for the kingdom of God. Because God takes things and He completely turns them upside down on their heads. But the opposite is also true. Just because something does look impressive or someone does look impressive, that it might appear on the surface that that person is, you know, being, or that ministry is being, you know, is, 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 is flashy and great and, and, and bringing large numbers of people and that sort of stuff. Don't think that that person or that ministry is being effective for the kingdom of God. I remember um, you know, a number of uh, years ago reading a, um, a, a book by Bill Hybels. They'd started a church in, in Chicago in America, um, a, a seeker-sensitive kind of church called Willow Creek Church. And over the years they built that up to the thousands and thousands of people would come along to that church every Sunday. 
And after 25 years, they did uh, a whole review of, the, of, of, all the ch- of all the church ministries and everything, and they discovered that after 25 years of ministry, they had a church a mile wide and an inch deep. In other words, they weren't really developing mature Christians. All they were developing was, was consumer Christians. Another thing to remember when it comes to the kingdom of God, results take time. That mustard seed didn't grow up overnight to be that great big shrub. Results take time and that means for us that we've got to be committed and we've got to persevere. We've got to keep on believing We've got to keep on praying and we've got to keep on working and trust God for the results. Think about it. The church began with approximately 120 believers. 120. I guarantee there is double that number here in this building this morning. What can God do with 200 committed Christians here in this place? What kind of impact do you think God can can have and the kingdom of God can have in this local community and further afield if he has got people in this church who are just willing to lay down their lives literally for him? To put the kingdom of God as the first priority in their life. instead of seeking the things of the, the things of this world start in fact seeking the things that are above where Christ is seated in the heavenly places can you imagine the kind of impact that and the ripples that can go out from this place if god has even just a hundred committed people here in this place willing to say god i just want to be the mustard seed you make me into whatever it is you want to make me i'm willing to do anything for you regardless of the costs Just use me. I guarantee that Satan would start to tremble in his boots if there were that kind of commitment from our church here in this place, from the people here in this building. Jesus said in John 15, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Folks, we have got to abide in Christ and him in us. Are you willing to make that kind of commitment today? second lesson we need to learn from these parables is that even something quite small has the ability to transform everything that it comes into contact with. And here Jesus moves from the outside to the inside, from the field to the kitchen. He says, and the word says, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. In Jesus' day, bread was baked in the home. 
And leaven was a small piece of dough that was left over from the previous batch of baking which had fermented due to the yeast content in it. And the leaven was taken, it was mixed in with this new batch of flour, this new batch of dough, and over a period of several hours what it did is it it gradually but inevitably transformed all of that dough so that it all became leavened. And like the leaven or the yeast, if you like, the growth of the kingdom of God often goes unnoticed. The growth of it often goes unnoticed. Yet it is at work slowly, silently, but effectively. And where the gospel is sown, where it finds fertile soil in a tender heart, It brings about a total transformation in that person's life and character. It changes absolutely everything. It transforms everything. It changes a person's values. It changes a person's desires. It changes a person's perspectives. It changes a person's future. It changes a person's whole life. And some of you today, sitting in those seats, can testify to the change that it has brought about in your life. And yeah, sure, you know, there are struggles and sometimes you, you know, you're just not, you're not as effective for God as you hope to be because there are times in your life where, you know, you get away from God and, and the things of this world do tend to clam, you know, clamber into our lives and, and take over and God gets pushed out. But God says in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 through the Apostle Paul, he says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. God promises that as the seed has taken root in your life, that he will indeed bring about that complete and utter transformation in your life because he is the one who is guaranteeing it. We don't, we can't guarantee it. We can try as hard as we, as we, as we want to and with all our efforts, with all our energies, but if God isn't at work, then we're not going to get there. But God himself has promised that by his spirit he will change and transform. Our job is to abide in the vine. He's the one that will produce the fruits. And he says he will bring it to completion. That leaven is to impact our lives and we need to look at our lives and see whether or not, in fact, the, 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 the word of God, the gospel message is actually at work in our lives right now. We need to take a a, a spiritual assessment of our lives on a regular basis and say, God, are we walking with you? Are we walking in the Spirit? Are we walking, are we keeping in step with the Spirit of God? Are we abiding in Christ? Am I being used by you? Is that that transformative work going on in my life? You know, I asked you this morning, you might know the Word of God, you might be able to recite Scripture, but actually has it taken root in your heart so that it's actually changing you, changing your life? Now, God has been convicting me about this, you know, a lot lately. I mean, you know, being in the Word of God week after week, preparing sermons, it's easy for me to know the Word of God, but is it actually changing me and transforming me more and more into the image of Christ?
But not only is the leaven of the gospel meant to impact our own lives, but we are also meant to be God's leaven out there in the world. To be a transforming influence for God, we're called to take that same message of the gospel that we've heard and responded to and to proclaim it and deliver it out in our lives. Amongst all those people we come into contact with week after week. And as we do that, God promises to use us to impact this world for him. To bring about the kingdom of God in other people's lives. The realities of his kingdom. And to bring others into that kingdom so that they're completely transformed by the grace and truth of his gospel. And they in turn become influences of others. In other words, we're disciples. We are followers of Jesus. I'm going to go back to, uh, just to finish off, read you a very small bit of this book again, just towards the end of that chapter I was reading just before. When we want to start a movement, we get the wealthy, we get the influential, and we get the powerful. But God does precisely the opposite. As Paul observes, God loves using the weak to shame the strong and things considered foolish to upend the wise. He goes on to say, if I had more time, I'd love to tell you about the prostitutes and disabled who started thriving small businesses in Hanoi and are spreading the good news of Jesus to their neighbours. I'd tell you about the ex-con drug addicts and the tattooed up gangsters who become some of the strongest preachers in the city. They didn't bring God their resumes. What they did bring was their willingness to receive Many would have looked at Bien as, as only a recipient of ministry, but God saw her as an agent of ministry. God's goodness can bear fruit in unlikely soil. It's not about how flashy our garden looks on the outside, but about whether we're willing to receive his kingdom on the inside. The generous farmer, God, loves tilling soil that many others would overlook and bearing powerful, life-giving fruit through them for his world. Folks, God's kingdom will never be stopped. It will continue to grow and its influence will continue to reach to the very ends of the earth. This we can be certain of. So let me finish by asking you this. Are you going to be a recipient of ministry? In other words, someone who's just willing just to take, consume, or are you going to be an agent of ministry? I think of that night that Jesus came walking across the water in the midst of the storm. We read about it just in the next chapter, in fact, in Matthew 14. He came walking across the water in the midst of that storm to his frightened disciples there in the boat. And Peter said to him, he said, Lord, if it's you, then bid me to come to you on the water. Command me to come to you on the water. What did Jesus say? Come. 
come. And immediately Peter got out of the boat and he started to walk on the water. And yes, as soon as he took his eyes off Jesus, Peter started to sink beneath the waves. But think about this. Out of those 12 disciples on the boat that night, only one had the experience of walking on the water. Peter. If we're prepared to focus on Jesus and abide in him, Jesus will take us into experiences that are even greater than the experience of walking on water. He wants to do that in your life and he wants to do that in my life. In fact, Jesus says, I want you to be an agent of change for the kingdom of God. Won't you come? Won't you come? We're going to move into a time of communion. I might ask the stewards if they'd like to come uh, up to the, uh, the table. This morning we've got an opportunity to give Jesus an answer to that question, to that bidding of his when he says, come. In fact, Jesus says, come to him on numerous occasions. He, he speaks about him. He says, come to me, all you who are thirsty, and drink, and, and I will satisfy you. Come to me, all you hunger and thirst. He says, come to, you, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. You will find rest for your souls in me. Jesus' words to us are come. Come to him and allow your, and just lay, be willing to lay your life down in his hands and be used by him and for him and he will do something incredible in you and through you. And yes, it might not get the adulation and the, and the accolades and that sort of thing from the crowds and from the, you know, from the people in this world today, but I guarantee what you do accomplish for God will not go unnoticed by him. Jesus says, come. Jesus also says, come to my table. Come and eat and drink. Come and eat the bread and drink the grape juice, the wine that speaks of my body given for you so that I might be in you, that I might be a transforming power within your life, a transforming power not just for your good but for the good of the whole world. Jesus says, come to me, eat and drink, proclaiming who I am, believing who I am and believing in what I can do in your life.
we come to the table this morning, I invite you, if you have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as a saviour, to come and partake of these elements. Eat the bread, remembering that the bread itself is Jesus' life given for us, his body given for us, and it is an opportunity for us to say, Jesus Christ, I want to lay down my life for you. I want my life to be used as an agent of change for the kingdom of God, however you want to choose to use me in that, in that context. It's your opportunity this morning to come and do that. It's also an opportunity for us to come and to drink of the grape juice together, remembering the the blood that was shed for us for the forgiveness of sins, but that God has called us into community so that we would not be out there on our own, but that we, we would be doing it, we would be agents of change for the kingdom of God together. That the life of Jesus flows in us and through us, through his Holy Spirit. And together we can be the people he's called us to be and affect the world in the way in which he's called us to affect it. Amen? Let's pray and uh, and just ask for God to, uh, to just use this time as a time of perhaps reflection from our own part. but also a time of uh, perhaps convicting us about what he might want us to do for him. Father, as we come around the table this morning, I want to thank you, first of all, for the body and blood of Jesus Christ because without him, we could not come to you. We could not partake of the life-giving bread, the bread of life, which is Jesus himself. But we recognise that Jesus came in order to give his life for many and he calls us to lay down our lives for him so that others might come to know him as well. Lord, we don't want to be a church that is just all about us. We want to be the people of God who are actually making a difference in our world today for God that as we, as you live that transformed life in us and through us, as we put ourselves in your hands, as we abide in you, that you will use us to leaven the society around us, to bring the good news of the gospel to people, that they might know and taste and see that Jesus is indeed good. We ask that for his name and for his glory. Amen. Uh, We're going to uh, distribute the elements. As I said, please take the bread and eat of that and then uh, hold the cup together. We might drink together in fellowship.
Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it can't bear fruit. If we're going to bear fruit for the kingdom of God, we've got to first come and die. We've got to die to to ourselves. And then we've got to celebrate the new life that can be ours through Jesus Christ and rejoice in that. And this grape juice speaks of that. So let's drink together in remembrance of what Christ has done for us.